everyone, Jonathan Walsh here. We're back for round 13 of Don the Stat. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Hume. Hume, how are you this week, mate? Uh, I'm doing well, and I imagine you're pretty pleased at the moment. You've finished your seven days of COVID isolation, and you're out and about. You've, you've managed to get out to the to the lovely area of Dalesford and enjoying some relaxing time, I imagine. Yeah, a bit of work to do, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately. I, I enjoy my work, so that's okay. But... Um, yeah, I'm very, very grateful, mate, that I only had very mild, mild symptoms, didn't have the fever or, or any of that. So, uh, yeah, very grateful. I escaped relatively unscathed, touch wood, and, um, and yeah, rejoined civilization again, mate. So I'm back and, yeah, really looking forward to, to this week. Um, yeah, Carlton always uh, brings out, I was going to say the best of me, but probably brings out the worst of me, to be honest. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then the, the 150th year, celebrations are obviously a big one as well so um yeah it's nice to to have a game of footy to look forward to absolutely you know you know the bias you know it, given given where we were it was good to have a, have a week off and not have to worry about you know what was going to happen this week but you know i think it, it builds a bit of anticipation and then also leading into as you said the 150th and it's against carlton you know i think there's a, there's a lot of despite despite what the season's been so far i think there's actually a lot of positivity around the fandom at the moment and hopefully that continues after Friday night. Yeah, touch wood, mate. It'd be nice. Absolutely. So uh, in our mid-season review last week, we had listener questions. We actually carried a couple of over because we weren't going to have a a match review this week. Uh, So we'll just go through those first. Now, the first question we've got is from Jack and he, he asked a really big question that, you know, is, is a is a big thing for Essendon over the, what you would probably say is the next 10 years. And he's asked, what is Cox's, best position now i've got i've got some thoughts on this but well john what do you think in terms of where would you play cox yeah i my view unlike a lot of other people is i'm not really in a hurry i we drafted him as a utility with you know great athletic prowess and and really good foot skills and i know we probably haven't seen much of the latter two in his last, what, 15 or so games, um, 15 or 20 games. But I think we need to respect the fact that he's, you know, he's a big boy, he's growing, he's put on a lot of weight over the last 12 months. Uh, so he'd still be getting used to that. Uh, he missed a lot of footy because obviously he's under last year of under 18s, his draft year, we were all in lockdown in Victoria. So he didn't get the development opportunities that, a lot of other kids around the country did get. So I think we need to take that in mind. And I'm not really in a hurry to to find a best position for him. And I don't even know whether one will necessarily come. I think, you know, there is a, still a role for utility players. I think the wing is probably the position he can do the most damage, given that he's got, he's got the running power to be a winger. He's got the foot skills to be a winger. And he's obviously got some serious height and, and aerial ability that, that, well, let's face it, no other winger in the competition really has. So I think that gives him a, a really unique skill and ability. I think the other thing that we could probably start to see him do a little bit more is maybe play that second ruck role so that we don't have to play two ruckmen. That might give us a um, a bit of an advantage there too. So, um, so yeah, I, I think my summary is don't rush. Uh, let him develop, let him grow and, and just come what may for the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Yeah. So I, I, I'm in two minds of this. I think there's 
I think I think his options are either back or as a wingman. I don't necessarily see him as a dominant forward. I think he could be a useful forward. I don't necessarily think he could be a dominant forward. I don't think he's finishing for goal is quite at that level. There's, there's a school of thought, and I can see the appeal to this, is that you put him at centre-half back, and with Reed, that's your two, your two big pillars in the back line locked in for 10 years. And, you know, then you can build, you can build a side around that. And I think that, that is an attractive option. But as you sort of said, he, there's a reason he's called the unicorn. How many, how many 200-centimetre players have that running ability you know, and one of the one of the things you need to be successful as a football as a football side is a point of difference. And having that having that player on on the wing, running up and running up and down, being able to outmark any any one of his opponents that he's going to play on with with such good foot skills, and you know the, the ability to run run a whole game out. That's, that's a huge potential point of difference for for the side. And the other thing is we've seen it we've seen it quite often. There's a lot of players, you know, who have struggled for their position for three or four or even five years and then been able to go back and, and do quite well. It seems that going to defense is something that is quite achievable for a lot of players. It's, it's not as, I guess it's not, it doesn't seem as difficult for a player to do well in particularly if they've got a lot of athletic ability. So my, I sort of lean to more to what you're saying in the end that you, you really give it a go for 18 months, two years on the wing to try and develop him there. If it's not working, I think you can put him back and still be confident that he's going to be a very good player in that position. But for the for now, for the next couple of years, you keep him as a as a wing and keep working on that side of his game and see, seeing what you can achieve with that. Yeah, I think a lot of great points there, Matt. And uh, one thing that's regularly mentioned with, with Cox is that he's... Uh, you know, people have a, a view, which is a fair one, that he looks lost and, and out of confidence playing on the wing, so find another position for him. But I think in, uh, you know, if we're being realistic about that, a young player, second-year player, if he was out of confidence and out of form, you'd, you'd move him back to the VFL. And I think, you know, you've made mention in the fact before uh, in our previous episode that last year had our VFL program been stronger and, um and we were able to get more out of it, then it would have helped his development to go back there and get some confidence. And this year's probably been a bit the same. So I think the answer is next year, invest resources into the VFL. So when we've got a young guy in his third year who's out of form, we can send him back there and he's going to get the right kind of coaching, mentoring, support to be able to improve his game in a position that he can add a lot of value to the senior team once he comes back, um, you know, fit and firing. So yeah, I don't. I don't think uh, you know. I think we've both sort of come around to the same conclusion. It's it's not so much about changing position for him. It's about you know unlocking his potential in in a position where he can do a lot of damage for us going forward. Absolutely, and fingers crossed that that it comes through that way. And the other the other question we held over was from another one from Plugger. Asked us to look at who was out of contracts and who potentially would be the delistings at the end of the year. Now, there's obviously a lot to play out, and, and there are players who are probably safe now that could play their way out of a contract for next year, and there are players who are, you know, on the cusp who could, with a with a strong finish to the season, make sure that they they are there next year. So, we've broken into two categories, and this is not going to be an opportunity to pot you know, players and say, get, get them out of there. I think there's a reason to keep every one of the players that we're going to discuss here, but there are four players that we consider to be safe 
they are Andrew Phillips. Now that's if he wants it. I think there were reports out there that he had to be talked around to going around again this year, but have, I think every side needs that experienced ruck that can just, you know, plug and play, you know, he's going to give you hundred percent. So if he wants it, we think he's safe. Uh, Andrew McGrath, there's a lot of talk you know, recently about him potentially leaving. Although I think recently there wasn't more talk about him committing to the club and he's historically been someone who has signed contracts more towards the end of the year. And, you know, he could just be doing that. I don't, I don't see him going. I don't see the club wanting him to go. So he's safe. Uh, James Stewart, uh, as a, you know, he's, he's a big body. He, he's shown that he can play at both ends of the ground. Uh, we need those mature bodies, those mature big bodies. And so I think he, again, he's safe, even if it's just a one-year deal. And then Tex Wanganing, you've only got him in for a year. He's shown, he's shown promise and he, he needs more time to develop. So again, I think he's safe. What are your thoughts with those ones? Yeah, I agree. I think McGrath signed his two contracts, I think in one in October and one might've even been in November. No, that can't be right. It would have happened before that, but, but both after the season finished. So I don't think there's much to worry about there. I think he'll, he'll be an SM player long-term. Um, and yeah, I think James Stewart might be the one that raises some eyebrows for people. But I think if you look at the, some of the challenges that we've had this year in terms of having experience both at AFL and VFL level, I think to get rid of another mature body, another you know semi-experienced player when we've got so much youth coming through already would be a big mistake and you know the hope would be that Reed can hold down a spot and keep him out of the team but it, it would be reassuring to know that we've got an experienced option to come in and replace him so yeah I agree with with everything that you've said there mate and then we had some I guess that we've put in the question mark bracket haven't we because um you know for different reasons I think each of these, um, either have a point to prove or, or you know, have some particular. So I think the quick and easy ones are, you know, Michael Hurley, we don't really know where he's at. Will he go on or, or will he not? I think he's I think he's still got another year of his contract left, doesn't he? I can't remember now, but... Oh, I, think he's, um, I think he's on this list because he's he, it's his last year, yeah. He's done, yeah, okay. You know, it'd be nice if he could get back. For the same reasons we, we talked about James Stewart, a senior experienced body, who can play at both ends of the ground. If he's fit and ready to go, um, yeah, mentally he may well have refreshed in the two years off as well. So, yeah, if physically he's up to it, I think there's no reason you wouldn't keep him around to keep teaching these young guys. And then, you know, I've been critical of the way that Dyson Heppel's played at times this year, but I also am quite critical of the way that he, what, what I perceive is the way he's been coached to play. I think it's it's been unfair that, we've given him jobs on small agile forwards when his best position is really to drop off the opposition's extra, you know, high half forward who's rolling up into the midfield and intercept and ready to play. So I would like to see him get back to that position and you keep him his experience. He's a good leader. He's not, I've said this on Twitter a few times, he's not Terry Danaher or James Hurd. He's Dyson Heppel and he's, he's a bloody good Dyson Heppel. So I think those two were a special cases. Then you got some guys that we... We haven't really seen at senior level. Now, Patrick Voss has been injured, so we haven't had a chance to see him. But I would expect, given his his size and and the attributes that he brings, that that he would get a new contract and be at the club again. Cody Brand's been playing some really good footy at centre back, full back in the VFL, and I think he'd be one that would really benefit from having James Stewart standing alongside him. So I think he will he will continue. Josh Eyre and, and McBride probably have question marks over them. Um, we probably haven't seen 
them really take the game. Yeah, I think it's McBride's last year on the the Cat B list. And I think the same applies yeah. to Tom Hurd. They've both sort of been on there for three years. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the first year they were on there, they, there wasn't a VFL program, so it was very difficult fair on them. The Hurd Hurd one in particular for me, like I think he's really improved. I think every every year I think he's improved, and I think he's getting close to at the very least AFL quality. Whether enough there to have him on the list, I'd, I'd like to see him get at least a run at it you know, in the second half of the year. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, say thanks. Thanks for trying. Um, good effort, but we're going to go in a different direction. Yeah, you're right. So, so that means for him to stay at the club next year, we have to open up a list spot for him, doesn't it? Cause we can't maintain him as a category B rookie. So he would have to, to either be redrafted as a category A rookie or, or come onto the list. And we've got, Matt Guelphie is a question mark. I think in reality, he probably gets another year as well because he's played good enough footy and, and, you know, he may get pushed out of the best 22. Uh, but one of the question marks we've got over him is we have Snelling coming back into the side. We've we've got Wanganeen on the list. We've just drafted Menzi, who plays a small forward position. And we're, you know, we everyone expects that we're about to draft the two Davy twins, albeit one of them is probably more a midfielder than a, a small forward, but probably would start his craft at AFL level as a small forward anyway. So, you know, is there room for Snelling, Wanganeen, Menzi, two Davies, Guelphie and Tom Hurd, who, you know, all play a similar position or role, I guess would be the the list management question mark on that one. And then- I think he's he's more likely than not. I'm really impressed with with his effort and clubs need, again, sort of like the James Stewart thing, you need those players who can- you know, senior players who can work really hard in the VFL and show the young guys what they need to do, but also the sort of player that can come in, fulfill his role, fulfill a role in the side. And you know that you're going to get hundred percent effort and, you know, a decent level of performance from. Yeah, I, I agree. He, he's a guy that reminds me a bit of Mark McVeigh when he was sort of in the, the middle part of his career where he kept signing one year deals just to keep himself honest and, keep himself on the top of his game. And, and Matt Guelphie reminds me a little bit of that mentality. I think a one-year deal for him would continue to, to drive him at the improvement and development rate that we've seen from him this year. And then I think the last couple, mate, uh, for me, Cutler is a, is probably a keep on depth, depending, keep for depth, depending on what else might come through, you know, free agency or trade time. You'd probably have a look at that first before you made a decision on him. Aaron Francis, I'm a big fan of in terms of his talent and ability, but I think we'd probably want to see him playing some footy in the back half this year and and demanding a spot before we make a, a real call on that one. And then I think the last two, Alec Waterman and Braden Ham, who, you know, Waterman's been dropped this week. Ham's not getting a game and has been on the list for a number of years now. So I think it's probably some a little bit of riding on the wall for those two, I would reckon, at the moment, given that they're they're not in, you know, we've still got a number of players out, and and they're not in our in our twenty two. So, so, I so think yeah, especially then- with Waterman, I, I my view of him is he's a luxury player. When you've got a good side playing good structured footy, he's the sort of player you know who can sneak under the guard of of oppositions. It reminds me a bit of sort of Tory Dixon for the Bulldogs. You know, did did one thing, did it really well, and you know when they're not you're not the focus and, and you're not as required as much to to do the defensive work. You know, he could be very valuable in a, in a side pushing for, you know, between that six to four 
four range, I, I would say. But in a side like ours where we need we need that pressure and we need a bit more, you know, all round ability, I think he's in a bit of bit of trouble. Yeah, I think you're right there, mate. And then the last one that we had on the list isn't a guy who's out of contract. He's got one more year to go. But I think you would hope that the club has a conversation with Devin Smith about what his role might look like next year. And, and you know, maybe there's an agreement that that, that finishes up a year early. Uh, again, you know, he's he's out of the team at the moment. He hasn't played great footy for a while now. So, uh, yeah, I would expect that the writing might be, again, might be on the wall with that one. Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. And as you said, a lot of it depends on who's available and and, and how many draft picks we're planning on taking and, and free agency and, and trades and all that. So get, we'll explore this again at the end of the year. There'll be less names on the list as, as contracts are signed, but we'll we'll get back to that and move on from there. So the big news, obviously, this week, as we brought up at the start, is the 150th celebration. It's such a big moment for the club. You know, it's an opportunity to relive past glories and, you know, you think about all the good times and, and the like, and, and you hear from all the past players, such as on the front bar last night, you know, Terry Vanderhaar and, and Simon Madden and hearing all the old stories there, you know, it just makes you, it's one of those things that makes you feel good about the club, even though, the, you know, the club's not performing at, at the level that we want it to, you know, what's been your big takeaway from the, from the build up to 150th? Yeah, I've, I've loved it, mate. As you know, I'm a, a, a big one for the the stories that that make Essendon. Um, Essendon for me has always been more than just what's happened on on the weekend and and the game in front of us. It's always been about the heroes of the club and and what's happened beforehand. And you know, I, I consider myself fortunate to grow up and, and being born into an Essendon family and and being a a third generation bomber and now having young nephews to talk to about the footy as well and and about the you know the guys that I grew up watching and sharing those stories with them and you know makes me pretty proud that my you know nine and ten year old nephews know about you know Michael Long and Leon Baker and these kind of guys so so yeah I I've really enjoyed again seeing you know the the front pass segment was great Uh, you know Vander has probably toned it down a little bit given the PG time slot but um there's probably a few after dark stories he could have gone with but yeah I, I love that I love seeing them at Wendy Hill. Funnily enough, I've loved the wallpapers with the the current day guys in the in the old jumpers that have come out this week too. Far be it for me to tell people how to suck eggs, but I think you know my message to to those that are listening is just to uh, you know sort of put aside the current predicament that the club is at and just enjoy the moment. There's you know Essendon is bigger than than what's happened in 2022. And um, and and recent years that we've got a rich history that we should all be really proud of, and use this as an opportunity to reflect on that. Um, you know, we're we're not necessarily defined by that, and um, you know, that's not me being accepting of of what's happening at the moment. But but don't miss the opportunity to to sit back on Friday night and really enjoy seeing some of the greats and learning about what Essendon means to them. I think it's, um, yeah, we, we've got a very special club that we we support and that we love. And I think this is a great opportunity to reflect back on that. Absolutely. And, you know, even even some of the stuff the club's putting out, so the Fabric podcast that Dan Eddy's doing, I think, again, really, really highlights just what a rich rich history and, and, the, and the great people that have, that have been involved with the club. Yeah, it's my second favourite Essendon-based podcast, mate. Um, <laughs> but I, I say that with my tongue planted firmly in my cheek. Yeah, I, I've loved that series. The documentary that was on Kate at the start of the year was brilliant as well. 
yeah, Dan, uh, we're really lucky as Essence supporters to have someone like Dan going over the history of the club and producing that sort of content to to be able to remember it for years to come. And yeah, it, it's um, it's been amazing. So during the week building on the 150th celebration, we asked people what made them most proud to be a Bombers supporter. And, you know, a lot, a lot of people brought up the big moments and, you know, they're, they're great and, and obviously make us feel really, you know, you know, it's, it's why we're supporters, but there were a couple of different moments. It weren't just the big wins that really stuck out to you. And uh, one of them was the Ramanowskis goal and return. And you were obviously working for the club at that time. And, and there, what was your, what was your experience of that moment? Yeah, I think uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, was it? I guess it's pretty similar in, in many ways to the Jason McCartney goal when he came back from what he went through in the the Bali bombings. You know, Rama is obviously someone that was loved by everybody, players, fans, coaches, etc. So, yeah, that that was a, a really good one to remember back on. So cheers to Darren for raising that one and, and Sean Muller, mentioned the long walk, which I think again is a an extension of the great work that that the club has done that's beyond football. So, you know, we've had so many great on-field moments to remember, but that was that was an off-field one that really makes me proud to be an SM fan. And you know, the the support that we gave Longy um in ninety five after the um the Monkhouse. After the Monkhouse incident. Yeah, that was you know, I was uh, you know, like you Humi only really young at the time and, and didn't have a great deal of awareness in terms of what racial vilification was and and even just what racism meant. And, and that really educated me. I, you know, I, I feel grateful that I support Essendon and Kevin Sheedy was around to drive the Anzac Day game because even though my grandfathers were both involved in World War II, I, I didn't have a great knowledge base of what happened there. And, and a lot of my knowledge of that has come through through that, I think the Dreamtime game is another great example of that where where the club's created something that goes beyond just what happens on game day too. So, yeah, they're, they're the types of things that, yeah, really make me very, very proud to be an Essendon supporter. Absolutely. Going to move on now to, to Carlton. A lot, of, a lot of moments that make people proud of, of Essendon and re- are related to Carlton, you know, obviously 93 and, and what happened there. But for me, the, the one the one match that stands out that's not, you know, always talked about is the 2009 match, the first match. Uh, so just a bit of background. This was, you know, uh, Carlton had just uh, got Judd and they just got those those three number one draft picks of Murphy, Gibbs and Cruiser. And so they, they were getting some of that arrogance back that they'd lost, you know, since since the late 90s. And, you know, they had the, the, they had the advertising slogan, they know we're coming. And Essendon, their marketing department, you know, after Carlton came out with that, talked about they know we're waiting you know they, they put that out there before before the season and you know we were coming into that that round three clash and Carlton were Carlton were flying at that at that stage and they they actually they jumped out to the out of the blocks in that game and and got a fair way ahead and then we we started to pull them back Lloydie had a really big game kicked five one of his, probably one of his last big games in, in his final season and you know it was really close all the way to the end and we, we got up by four points and, you know, the, the next day in the paper or a couple of days later, there was um, advertisement from the club about, you know, we were waiting and, and just hit the celebrations there. And, you know, 2009 is a really interesting year. You know, we got smashed in the final, but, you know, there's, there's three or four games in that season where, you know, you, you just think about them constantly. So there's that, that Carlton game, obviously that's the, 
That's the day of the, of the famous uh, Zarakis Anzac Day match. That's the big win against St Kilda um, when they were undefeated after 19 rounds. And then obviously the final uh, match against uh, Hawthorne where, where Hurley announced himself and Lloyd played, did his final act. Yeah, so 2009 sticks out a lot to me and, and that Carlton game was a big part of it. But obviously you've probably got more of a visceral hatred of, of Carlton based on <laughs> what yeah, you've been I was going to um, I was going to avoid the use of the word hatred, but you know you've called a spade a spade, mate. So yeah, I I think that's the the big one for me. And my grandfather used to talk about it was I think nineteen fifty. I think Coleman got rubbed out in so in the prelim. So he played the prelim, got rubbed out, missed the grand final, and we lost the grand final. I think by a couple of goals. I should have done my research and, and double checked my history there, but but he got rubbed out for for whacking a Carlton player, but it was really just a retaliation to, to him getting at Coleman himself getting whacked. So he hated my grandfather hated Carlton because of that. I mean, for lots of reasons, but, but that was the primary one. He spoke a lot about how, how that incident cost us a flag. My dad was born on 1949 grand final day where we played Carlton. And and in fact, my grandfather um, was meant to be at home looking after my uncle you know, that was obviously back in an era when when husbands and, and fathers didn't go into the hospital for the birth, but um, he actually dumped my uncle at the neighbours and went off and went to the footy. My dad was born during the game. He went to the hospital in East Melbourne there afterwards and my grandmother said, you know, what did you do today? Did you listen to the football on the wireless? Um, and he said, yeah, yeah, I was at home looking after Michael, listening to the football on the wireless. And she lifted up the old, back then there was the PM edition of the newspaper and he was uh, he was in the front row of the grandstand at the footy. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that yeah, it, that was the story. We heard lots of kids and, and obviously he was, yeah, and, and yeah, tie back to Carlton. And then obviously the 93 grand final was a big one um, against the Blues. And that year there was big matches against Carlton. There was, there was the draw where Sticks, Missed the kick a goal after the siren, which is Dustin Fletcher's first game, and my brother's first game of football that that he went to. So there's lots of these little tie-ins back, just family ones back to Carlton games. So that was a that was a big one. And then you know we had the qualifying final against them. That that was the night footy, the first time a sponsor Macas was on the ball, um, and we lost a close one to them, and then got up and beat them in the grand final. You know, Sheeds always built up playing Carlton, you know, his response after the 99 prelim, I think was was equal parts disappointment and rage at losing a prelim by a point, but also equal parts and rage of losing to Carlton. So, you know, that was that was big. And then, you know, Gary O'Donnell was also a player I, that just stood out to me as someone who, who really, really passionately disliked Carlton. Although, ironically, I heard in his interview with uh, speaking to Dan Eddy, that he was a Carlton supporter growing up, which just shocks me that someone could hate someone so much, something so much that they they obviously formerly um, love. But but yeah, so so lots there, mate. And speaking of, you know, one of the the stories that that we got back was um, on Twitter during the week was from Willow, and it was about that 1993 grand final, um, and we enjoyed it so much that we actually got Willow on last night and recorded a. I guess a bit of a bonus segment with with him um, and something that, you know, if it's popular and other people want to be involved in, we'll continue to do throughout the season to, yeah, to get the fan stories and and some of their memories about, um, you know, their time supporting us. And, and he, had, he had a brilliant story to tell in regards to the 93 grand final. So, yeah, 
refresh your podcast apps on on Saturday. That'll come out just after the game. And um, if we lose, it'll be a good one to uh, remember the a bygone era where we beat them. And and if we get a win, it'll be just a nice way to enjoy your morning coffee. I think so. Yeah, keep your eye out for that one. Well, fingers crossed. It's it's after a win. Okay, now, so moving on to the present day and, and the upcoming match against Carlton, uh, we'll go through selection now. So for Essendon, the ins are Stringer, which is a very welcome in, Guelphie and Redmond off his suspension, and the Essendon outs are Waterman, Smith, and Wanganeen. So they've really got rid of three forwards there and, and brought back two forwards and a, and a defender. Uh, the thing that really stands out to me is I, I really like all the ins. I think all, all the ins improve the side, but the, the standout for me is the lack of that you know, really focused small forward, which Smith and Wanganeen, for all the fact that they their output wasn't great, are those players. And so that's that's where I think we're in we're really lacking at the moment. Obviously they've they've brought Menzi in with the mid season draft, but he's not ready to go yet. So that that's a particular point of weakness there. But what do you feel about the the selections for Essendon there? Yeah, I mean Stringer and and Waterman are are like for like, albeit Stringer's obviously got a midfield bow to his game that that Waterman doesn't have, and you know it's a huge upside there. So uh, you know I, I think that's a big benefit to us. Guelphie and Smith yeah, are probably like for like. Smith's probably a little bit better at ground level, albeit we haven't seen much of it. But yeah, Redmond for Wanganeen's obviously quite a, a contrast. I I agree. I, I think we're probably still a small creative small forward short, and I would have liked to have kept Wanganeen in. Redmond coming back into the team probably said. Without a, a defender coming out, probably suggests to me that we're going to see McGrath, albeit there's still a question mark over his fitness, isn't there? Uh, that we'll probably see him in the midfield again, which, you know, I like him at halfback. I think most people do. Carlton do have some strong bodies through the midfield. So so maybe he gives us some benefit there and we might see the likes of Merritt and, and Co playing a little bit more outside. So, yeah, I, I think it. It's ultimately an upside. Uh, Stringer and Redman are easily in our best twenty-two players. So, so yeah, I think I think they're good ins. Yeah, and I think if, with McGrath, if you think back to sort of the Melbourne game and the role he played on Petrarca, there's an opportunity there that he, he plays a similar role on a, on a Crips or Chera, um, someone you're going to talk a bit more in detail about a bit later. But let's move on to Carlton and what based on. Their selections and, and Harry Mackay coming back before we move on to them, I was actually surprised that Stuart wasn't brought back in. I know he's been training with the forwards, but I thought there was an opportunity there to to have two bigs. So Reed and Reed and Stuart going up against Kai and Kerno. Uh, they've obviously feel that they can they can use Laverty there. So we'll see how that plays out. But for Carlton, you know, Mackay, as I said, Mackay's back in uh, Marchbank. As much as we don't like Carlton, it's a really good story. Someone who's been out for quite a long time being able to get get back. Uh, Jack Martin's in. Matt Kennedy's playing really well this season. And uh, Jordan Boyd, who's a medium defender, pick 20 in the 2020 draft and Sony only sixth game for his career. And for out for Carlton, obviously, Wiedering's a massive loss for them. He's, he's held down their defense and justified his number one pick. Uh, Motlop, Stocker, Cottrell, and Dow, which for you was quite surprising because you, you, you quite rated his game last week. Yeah, I'm surprised by Motlop and Dow. I mean, I don't pretend to be a Carlton expert, albeit I, I did watch them last week and the benefit of of watching their, their game, or well, not last week, the week before, but prior to the buy. The benefit of watching that game was they they did lose it. The The downside was they lost it to Collingwood. So it was a bit of a, a lose-lose for me um, reviewing that one. But yeah, I thought he was really good. He, he got them back into the game when 
not that Collingwood ever blew the the margin out too much, but he was the one that I felt got his hands on the ball at the clearance and um, and was able to bring particularly Chera and some of their other mids into the game. So, uh, yeah, I, I was a bit surprised that they left him out, but Kennedy's been playing really good footy and probably a bit of a, a case of um, last one in, first one out because, you know, Kennedy's, he's, you know, earned his spot and, um, you know, Motlop's the type of player that, as we know, um, causes us a bit of pain. And Jack Martin is obviously a similar player that plays further away from goals. Um, and, and you know, it's probably a player that we we match up, we potentially match up a little bit better. You know, Redmond and Hind prefer that match up on a guy who's who's getting up the ground versus, you know, a, the the tricky crafty forward who's who stays closer to home. So, um, so yeah, interesting, good. Callum Archback obviously is a, a good news story. It's good to see him back, but I think on the flip side for us, um, you know, Peter Wright or or Jones are going to get a, a matchup of a guy who's going to be a little bit rusty. So, um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. So you've um, you've done your research on the Blues, mate. What's your what are your key takeaways? Well, you know, seeing seeing the the eight and three win loss ratio is is a bit dispiriting. But if you if you sort of dig down into it, there. They've beat they've beaten the teams below them and they've lost to the the teams above them and and when I say they've lost to the teams above them they've only played one of the sides above them which is which is the Dockers and the thing that really stands out to me is that they've still got uh, Brisbane Melbourne Saints and Cats to come in their in their final few games so it actually it actually gives me a reason why they've they've rushed Mackay back I think they actually need to win this game it's really important for them to push for finals I think given that you've got West Coast and North who aren't going to win many games. It's probably going to take you 13, maybe even 14 games to play finals. So Carlton can't afford to drop any any of the games against sides lower down the ladder like Essendon. So it, it sort of says to me that that's why they've rushed they've rushed him back in. Because as I said, they, they haven't really been tested against the best sides yet. Uh, if you look at their their changes since last year in terms of their stats, the, the thing that stands out is that they've really improved their offensive capability. So they're up two goals a game from 2021. So up from 79 points to 91 points a game. The defense has also improved a bit. So eight points a game uh, from last year. So they're conceding 81 points a game. Now that is the, that is the highest of any of the top eight sides. And I'm sorry, until Collingwood uh, jumped into the eight last week, although they have played that extra game. And what that sort of tells me is that, you know, defense defense is what wins premierships and they're not quite there defensively yet. Uh, for comparison, 81 points a game is what Essendon conceded last year. So if you think about what our defense was like last year, it's very similar for Carlton in terms of in terms of what they're producing. Now, the key stats again, if you move into they've really changed their game style under Voss. So they were, you know, one of the highest ratios in terms of kick to handball in 2021. It was 1.7 kicks per handball. They're very much a, a control, trying to control the ball side and that set kick mark sort of thing. They're much more willing to take the game on with with the handball, although they're not overusing it much like, uh, you know, it's been a fixture of our side this season or at least earlier on. I think we're getting better at that. Um, but they're still the highest disposal side. So even though their the kick to handball ratio is down, they're the number one side for handballs and the number two for kicks the game. So they're getting... Uh, 
a fair use of the ball. And, and that that's being driven not through ruck dominance. They're actually one of the lowest hit outside in the competition, but they're getting 1.37 clearances per hit out. So they're doing a really good job of sharking the opposition ruckmen. So the comparison, when we, when we previewed the Bulldogs game, we highlighted that they were the best in the comp at that, and they were getting 1.39 clearances per hit out. So the, uh, so the uh, Carlton side is is pretty much at that level. So if you if you're thinking what to compare the the Carlton mids to, the Bulldogs is a pretty good fit for the way that they try and play. But you you've as you said, you were unfortunate enough to watch the Carlton game last week, even though you got to see them lose. What was your takeaways from that game? Yeah, not just that game, mate. I've watched them a bit this year. It, it pains me to say it, but they are a good team to watch. Um, you know, they they've got some really good key position stocks at both ends of the ground and, and they've got a midfield that that's now got a good mix of, of inside or, or contested ball winners and, and outside players as well. So, you know, if we pretend that they're not in a Carlton jumper and just watch it for the pure aesthetics of watching a good football team, they're, they're a pretty good team to watch. So yeah, I have watched a bit of them this year. Uh, you, you know, you actually mentioned earlier about not bringing Stewart in. You thought that might've been something to happen. I think one of the things that, um, it probably goes a little bit unnoticed is is Kerno's probably not as big as people think or or that he looks funnily enough. I think he's only 190 or 191. So I think size-wise he probably matches up quite well to Laverde. And I think that matchup makes sense. And it'll be interesting to see whether it's McKay or sorry, whether it's Ridley or Reed then that gets McKay. Um it might be another great opportunity for race development. But I think for me, in terms of player watch, Chero is the one that I think we need to keep a, a close watch on. Uh, I'm not suggesting that we go out and tag him, but it might be something similar to what McGrath did, as you mentioned earlier on Petrarca, where we we keep a close eye on him and stoppage. He's a, he is good at winning his own ball, but... But beyond that, he's the one that really accelerates away and and is able to 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 win clearance by running the ball out and then disposes of it really really well. So, I think he he's the player that that we really need to keep a close eye on, on the midfield. I think you know this week more than anything, um, midfield is going to be where the game is won and lost. Uh, in terms of the way that they they play, they're a, they're a high disposal side. They're the number one uncontested marking team in the AFL. And yeah, I think they're the fourth most disposal, um, have the fourth most disposal in the AFL as well. So they do like to to use the ball around the ground. And and if we do get some rain and it's a bit slippery, which I think it's forecast to be, uh, that might actually work in our favour a little bit. They they've gone um quite tall. Um McKay in particular is a, a mark and kick player, is not He's not really that adept at, at ground level, so I think um, I think it might suit us if it do, if we do get a bit of rain. And I think you saw in our game against Port, we were actually really um, quick and and best at adapting to those conditions. So I think it it could work in our favour. You mentioned their their scores against haven't really changed all that much on on last year. I think what they have got better at is reducing or restricting their opponents from getting the ball inside 50. So they're the seventh best in the AFL for um, for the least number of inside 50s per game conceded. But I do think they're really gettable once you get the ball in there. So And that's been our catch-22 for us this year, hasn't it? We've, we've um, been good at converting inside 50s to scores, haven't been great at getting inside 50s in the first place. So I think if we can turn that around, I think... 
I think Carlton are really gettable in, in their back 50, particularly with Weedering out. And I'd like to go back a couple of weeks, actually, to the, their game against Gold Coast because I think it's a really good example. It was up in the Gold Coast, so I guess they had some home ground advantage. And Gold Coast beat them by 30 points, by five goals. And um, and in that game, Gold Coast had 64 inside 50s to 48. So they, they just kept getting the ball inside 50 and put enough pressure on Carlton and, and eventually were able to get scores on the board. In that game, they had real... Ruck dominance, Wits really went to town. They had 52 hitouts to just 19. I, I, you know, I don't think there's many teams in recent history have only had 19 hitouts in a game. Um, they smashed them in the clearances. It was 13 to 11 in the centre, but stoppage clearances were 30 to 16, so 43 to 27 in total. And then they won the contested ball by 142 to 129. And, and what's funny about that game too is, um, they only had 35 tackles, the Suns. Um, so they they were just able to beat them in close and at, at the contest and and um, and get the ball inside 50 and put enough pressure to, to eventually score. And then the other one, they got a win by a point in this game against the Hawks, but that was the other game where they, they lost um, stoppages as well by 24 to 19. So I think, yeah, the, the key for us there is taking their their possession game away from them and and winning stoppages. If we can do that, we give ourselves a really good chance of getting the ball inside 50 more than they do and um, and ultimately creating more scoring shots. But I think for me, the, the, the four or five key tactics or points for this week is, is that one, that contested ball and clearances. I think that's got to be the number one KPI that, um, that Truck puts up on the board and, and we're measuring each and every player on. And and that starts in the ruck. They've become really adept at reading the opposition ruckman. Um, obviously, Pitney, who's not a high hit-up player himself, is out. So De Conning is their their main ruckman. I think he's gettable around the ground. His follow-up work's not great. Um, his ground-level works is isn't particularly strong, but he is really good in the air. So, um, so big game for Draper to. And we've got to make sure that we're not predictable. So, so Chera and the like will, and and Hewitt and um, and Kennedy will look to shark Draper's hitouts. Yeah, you know, Sammy's anything but predictable. So, I think this is a good opportunity for him to to bring out his crazy self. You know, you you made the point that we really need to try and limit them to just one clearance per hitout. We can't allow them to get any real dominance there. They're also the best team at generating inside 50s from centre clearances in the competition. So 90% of their, their centre clearances result in an inside 50 and their number one rank for goals from stoppage. So it does two things, right? And we've spoken about this in previous games. If we're winning the clearances, they're not. We're taking away their number one scoring, their scoring avenue, and we're allowing ourselves to get the ball inside 50 more than we usually do and exposing their back line, which is undermanned. So contested ball and clearances just needs to be number one. Number two for me is that we just need to be close in the first half. They're, they're scoring 54 points in the first half, but that drops down to 37 and a half in the second half. And they've had some games this year where they got across the line, but only because the opposition wasn't able to, to convert enough scoring shots and kicked a lot of points. So I think, be in the game at half time and we give ourselves a real opportunity to to come home really strongly. And our second halves have been okay. You know, they haven't been outstanding, but I think they've been good enough to win the game, win this game on the weekend or or tomorrow night if we're close enough at half time. 
we uh, we talk a lot about our own ability to defend transition and to defend end-to-end goals. I think Carlton are really gettable in this area area as well. They they run a mix of a high press and a, and a deep press, so you do see them interchange, but they do really try and lock the ball inside 50 and, and get their half back. So you'll often see it kick outs, and, and when they've got the ball inside 50, you'll see the likes of Saad and um and young etc pushed right up towards their half forward line and we can really expose them coming out the other way if we're really brave and i think again we're going to need to be use mcgrath use redmond use hind to really try and run and explode out and get the ball in the corridor and i reckon if we can do that we can then expose you know Marchbank, who's going to be a bit rusty young who'll probably i reckon will probably go to jones and i think jones will have him for reach in the air Fast movement, get in the corridor, get it inside 50 and, and expose their backs. And I think we can score really well that way. And then again, another theme that we speak about a lot is, is we get exposed by teams that have quality halfbackers who can run and carry and, and Saad, as much as we hate to admit it, is a very good one and, and as is Doherty. So I think we need to, to really limit their influence. I think Guelphie probably needs to stand on, on one of the two and, and really try and take them out of the game. They average nearly 14 intercepts per game between them. Wiedering is the other one who's got similar numbers and he's not there. So they're going to rely on these two to, to do a lot of that damage and intercept our, our forward entries. So, so yeah, they're, they're the ones, mate. Contested ball clearances, don't be predictable in the ruck. Be close at halftime. Challenge their their high press and and break through it and then make sure we don't allow Sard and Doherty, Doherty to, get, to get big numbers of the ball. Excellent. So we'll see how that plays out tomorrow night. And hopefully we, next week we're talking about a famous Essendon win over Carlton. And that sort of leads into our final thought. One of the things Willow brought up in our show uh, last night that we recorded that'll come out Saturday morning that we ended up removing because it didn't feel right after after the game as posted before. So we're going to ask it now. Would you rather beat Carlton by 10 goals, an absolute smashing, or would you rather beat them with a point by a point with a kick after the siren? Yeah, I I don't have children, mate, but I uh, I mean, you've got one and one on the way. So this is probably a bit like asking a parent who their favourite child is because uh, I think both are pretty good outcomes. If this was a, a big final or, or grand final, and geez, wouldn't it be great to see both of our clubs back at, uh, on the big stage at some point soon? I think a point or, or a, winning by a point with a kick after the siren would be the ultimate. I'm not sure my heart would... Would handle it. I'm not sure I could actually watch. I think I'd have to to probably close my eyes. But I think that would be probably the ultimate way to do that. But given where our club's been um, over the last year or so, given where their club, is, well, over this season in particular, and given where they are at the moment, and and some of the chirp and and some of that Carlton arrogance that's come back amongst their fans, I I would love to smash them tomorrow night. I think a ten goal win would. Um, would be amazing. So, so if, yeah, my choice for tomorrow night, mate, is is to bury them. What about you? I agree. I don't think my heart could take a one point, a one point win. And I'm also I'm on baby duty tomorrow night. So I think a one point win, I'd be shouting too much, and yeah, he'd wake up enough to run up there and and resettle him. So I think a ten goal win where we're way in front at halftime. I think that would that would suit me greatly. Well, that's going to end us for tonight. Really enjoyed the game, putting this episode together with you, Jonathan, and hopefully people enjoy uh, what's coming out Saturday morning as well. So any final thoughts from you, John? 
No, mate. Thanks again for all your hard work putting this together. It's, it's been good fun this week to talk about the the history and, and some of the great stories about the club, mate. So, yeah, great job as always and look forward to a big win. Go Dons. Go Dons.